with the settlement of the Czechoslovakian problem, which has now been achieved, is, in my view, only the prelude to a larger settlement in which all Europe may find peace. This morning, I had another talk with the German Chancellor, Herr Hitler. And here is the paper which bears his name upon it as well as mine. Some of you perhaps have already heard what it contains, but I would just like to read it to you. We, the German Führer and Chancellor, and the British Prime Minister have had a further meeting today and are agreed in recognizing that the question of Anglo-German relations is of the first importance for the two countries and for Europe. So the British Prime Minister spoke as he waved a piece of white paper in the blustery wind that hastened across the open expanses of a British Royal Air Force base, making a point of showing it and its symbolic importance to the crowd. It was only 20 years since the last war had come to an end. A war that was once said to be the war that would end all wars. The British public were not eager to let the memorial stones in their village squares, on their church walls, on town plazas or in city halls, be expanded and bear any more names of their sons, fathers, brothers or uncles lost to a never global conflict and Neville Chamberlain the British Prime Minister opted to pursue a line of appeasement rather than conflict with the growing in confidence German Führer Herr Hitler We regard the agreement signed last night and the Anglo-German naval agreement as symbolic of the desire of our two peoples never to go to war with one another again <laughs> Later that same day, Neville Chamberlain, the man who spoke those words, would stand before Number 10 Downing Street and proclaim, Peace in our time. The date was the 30th of September, 1938. It has been a speech that has fallen into historical infamy. But less than a year later, the same man, British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain, would once again let his voice ring over the airwaves on the 3rd of September this is London at 11.15 You will now hear a statement by the Prime Minister. I am speaking to you from the Cabinet Room at 10 Downing Street. This morning, the British Ambassador in Berlin handed the German government a final note stating that unless we heard from them by 11 o'clock that they were prepared at once to withdraw their troops from Poland, a state of war would exist between us. I have to tell you now that no such undertaking has been received and that consequently this country is at war with Germany. Within the British Prime Minister's voice, you can hear the sorrow and the heavy heart with which he spoke those words. 
the optimism of hoping to contain a tyrant with appeasement, to save the lives of not only the young men of Britain, but of all nations across Europe, that had existed when he had spoken before on the tarmac of the agreement signed in Munich that would bear that city's name had been expunged. Now, with the knowledge of the horrors of the First World War playing before his imagination, he had to tell the British public that once more, that they and their loved ones would suffer in another war. Between Prime Minister Chamberlain's first speech and the declaration of war, Hitler had flaunted the Munich agreement that Chamberlain had proclaimed on the tarmac of a British airbase, to which the words, peace in our time, have so often but wrongly been associated. The Munich agreement had forced Czechoslovakia to forfeit its claims to the Sudetenland, to Hitler's Germany. Czechoslovakia wished to fight for its land, but realizing it stood alone and predominantly surrounded by enemies that were ready to take from the land as they saw fit, relinquished the ideas of a struggle as long as Hitler promised to not goose step further into Czech or other people's land, to which he happily agreed. Yet the British Prime Minister should have known he was making a deal with a snake. After the Munich Agreement was concluded, Poland had annexalgia. Hungary took the border region of the Slovak area of the country. Then on the 15th of March 1939, the German Wehrmacht would enact Operation Green, where the rest of the remaining Czech part of the country would be seized. Slovakia had declared itself an independent state just the previous day. As the German troops goose-stepped across the border, the Czech President Hatcher was already in Hitler's chancery where Hitler would threaten the bombing of Prague if the Czech troops refused to lay down their arms. Hatcher agreed. The Czech lands became the protectorate of Bohemia and Moravia. Germany received the gold treasury, numbering 227 tons of gold, and increased its ability to make war greatly by the seizure of the Czech industrial facilities, from which roughly 25% of all German weapons would be produced. Yet the international community did nothing, there was no war declared from the West, nor was there a will. Hitler said of Chamberlain, If ever that silly old man comes interfering here again with his umbrella, I'll kick him downstairs and jump on his stomach in front of the photographers. Chamberlain had done a deal with the devil. He had made an agreement as a gentleman, whilst Europe was being increasingly occupied by dictators. And what he had allowed was for Hitler to build the forces required to continue his quest for territory in Europe. Hitler would invade Poland on the 1st of September 1939, prompting Chamberlain's announcement on the 3rd that Britain and France were at war with Germany. However, as the tanks of the Wehrmacht, manufactured by the former Czech Skoda Works, now in the protectorate of Bohemia and Moravia, rolled across the Polish plains, the British and the French did little. To the British, the war became known as the Phony War. But for the Polish, it was anything but phony. As Britain prepared for war at home, the Polish were being brutalized and slaughtered, their population segregated and murdered, the events of which Leni Riefenstahl, the director of The Triumph of the Will and Olympia films of the Third Reich, witnessed firsthand as a war reporter. She witnessed 30 civilians being executed in Konski. She left Poland shortly after, returning only to film Hitler's victory parade in Warsaw 
after which she chose never to make any more movies for Hitler. Whilst the British rearmed, Hitler also managed to take Denmark and Norway in April and May of 1940. Then war hit the Allies. The phony war was no more as the machines that Hitler had been allowed to build up drove west. The tanks and armoured personnel carriers of the Wehrmacht and Waffen-SS, the planes of the Luftwaffe and the battleships and cruisers of the Kriegsmarine launched Operation Yellow. A lightning war, a blitzkrieg ensued. It was the 9th of May, and on the 13th, Chamberlain resigns. On the 10th of May, Luxembourg was captured. The 15th of May, the Netherlands capitulated. On the 28th, Belgium surrendered. Then Operation Red on the 5th of June was enacted to seize France. The British expeditionary forces and the armies of the French were put into retreat. The British left their equipment along the sides of the French roads as they ran to the coast to be extracted to Britain. The war for Europe, for the time being, was lost as French signed the armistice of the 22nd of June, 1940. The new Prime Minister now took to the airwaves. What General Vagan has called the Battle of France is over. The Battle of Britain is about to begin. Upon this battle depends the survival of Christian civilization. Upon it depends our own British life and the long continuity of our institutions and our empire. The whole fury and might of the enemy must very soon be turned on us. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. The speech might have been prophetic. It may have been profound and rousing to Britain, but it did nothing for the territories that now lay beneath the flag of the Hackenkreuz. For as Churchill spoke to the British people, in Germany, the Reichs and Prussian Ministry of the Interior was working on how its laws and doctrines would be applied to the new nations of the greater German Reich. Achtung, Achtung! Here is the Sendestelle Berlin, in Boxhaus, auf Welle 400 Meter. Meine Damen und Herren. Welcome to Achtung History, a weekly podcast produced by the Berlin Tour Guide and hosted by Simon J. James. This is Series 1, He Who Holds the Devil, Episode 5, The Rule of Law. We've already spoken before of Dr. Hans Globke's role in transferring the laws of his creation to Austria after the Anschluss of the 12th of March 1938, but the transfer of the laws created to the newly conquered territories was to be different. To the National Socialist regime, Austria was German, especially to Hitler, who was born in Austria. So therefore, the people of Germany and Austria were one of the same. But transferring the laws onto the new territories, who spoke a different language, had different cultures, and whom, to Dr. Globker, did not belong to the Aryan race. There was that letter to the Reichsminister of the Interior of 15th of March 1934, where Globke states that the Finns and Hungarians were not of Aryan descent, 
and he required advice on how to proceed with their applications for name changes. Both Finland and Hungary would at points become allied with the Germans during the war. It was a question, as the German Reich, of who belonged to it, who became a citizen, and for many it wasn't a question of living in the lands occupied by the Reich, but rather who the Reich wanted. It was pick and choose, and the ultimate quest was Germanization. In the same letter of the 15th of March 1934, Dr. Globke wrote to Stuckart, In my opinion, Germanization does not exist where a non-German part of the people or some of their relatives, on the basis of their conviction of the higher worth of German culture, for example, voluntarily aspire to German culture and want to adopt their culture. On the one hand, there is no injustice to foreign folklore, which the Chancellor has rightly rejected, but on the other hand, German nationality is to be regarded as so strong that there are parts of foreign folk of the Aryan race who profess to them in a spirit of conviction, without damage. The Reich's Ministry of the Interior's power stretched across the Reich and covered almost all the legislation that governed the social life of the population. Department 1, Dr. Globke's domain, was generally concerned with issues of nationality, on which it and he would create drafts on laws on the issues of nationality, and Dr. Globke would act often as commentator on the application of laws on nationality, bending the will of the law to his own view. His tasks during the war were extensive. In 1940, he worked in citizenship law as well as deputy head of Division 1.6, responsible for affairs within the Western Zones. By 1941, he was head of this division, now called Reorganization of the West. At the same time as he worked for the Sub-Department of Citizenship and Race, he also became a consultant for business areas within the captured territories, working for the Generalbevollmächtigen für die Reichsverwaltung, or GBV, GBV. By 1943, he had been promoted to head of Division 1B, now responsible for citizenship and race. As a representative of the GBV, he also became a consultant for ceasefire and peace treaties. But his will was to shape and form the peoples of the conquered territories to the ideas of national socialism and to Germanization, and therefore shape the National Socialist Empire. The claims for naturalization of people who had lived in areas for years, decades or generations had been all cancelled with the swift law dated the 15th of May 1935 and signed by the Reich's Minister of the Interior, where Section 1 ended with, there are no claims to naturalization. It was up to the ministries to decide who was worthy in their eyes of being a citizen. The law was extended as the armies marched, Germanization and citizenship was extended to those in certain areas who renounced their other nationality, like Polish registered citizens of Danzig, Gdansk, or Belgium citizens of Malmody, Eupen, or Morazne. The Twelfth Ordinance Act that had been used to further deny Jews and Gypsies entirely of their citizenship was also used to revoke anyone of their citizenship. When the armies invaded Poland in 1939, and Poland became known as the general government, the Polish people did not become members of the German Reich. Protection could be extended to members of the German Reich who did not belong to the German people, 
but the nationality had to be protected or awarded in an individual case. In the case of a Paul, they could have their protective status stripped, at which point they would lose any protection under the law and could be subject to any treatment the Nazis and their supporters saw fit. Even if they were murdered, there would be nothing a relative could seek in ways of punishment for the murderer. It facilitated the ethnic cleansing of the Poles in places such as Volhynia, Galicia, and Lublin. For Czechoslovakia, the Germans had entered the Sudetenland on the 1st of October 1938, the day after Chamberlain had returned to Britain with the Munich Agreement in hand that had taken these lands from Czechoslovakia and gifted them to Hitler's Germany. These lands were to be fully incorporated into Germany by the 10th of October, and a new treaty was negotiated to settle the issue of citizenship. The Germans knowing that the Czech government could do little in denying the wishes of the German government. A treaty was drafted. Its purpose was to lay on paper the rules that would govern the citizenship of those within the newly acquired territory. German citizenship was to be given to all born in the area before the 1st of January 1910, a time when the region was a component part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. But of course, this was for all except the Jews. The Czechs within the area were given a right to exercise a choice. Being born before 1910, they could choose German citizenship or Czech. But if they chose to remain Czech, they were to be expelled from the area by 1940 and would only be allowed to take a small amount of their property with them. The rest would default to the Reich. For those born after 1910 and were not considered to be German, the draft bill were to put those people in a more lawless position especially as the area became more brutally Germanized. It also stated that the Czechoslovak government could do the same, that those with German ethnicity who are Czechoslovak nationals could request that they leave for German territory within a period of three months. However, if they have gained Czechoslovak citizenship after the 30th of January 1933, in other words, after Hitler and the Nazis had come to power, this did not apply, for therefore they could only be an opponent and traitor of the Nazi regime. Underneath a total of 14 sections outlining the rules of citizenship are the names of those sent to negotiate the treaty. They are Friedrich Gauss of the Foreign Office, Antonin Kukal of the Czechoslovak Ministry of Justice in Prague, and from the Reich Ministry of the Interior, Dr. Hans Globka. For the Czechoslovakian representatives that this draft of this law was laid before, they were told that it had already been approved by Hitler. The Czechoslovak representatives protested, but Dr. Klobka refused them any further negotiations. They were told to sign. Believing that Hitler had already signed it and therefore there was little movement, if any possible, at all, and knowing the danger if they refused, they one by one placed their signatures upon the paper on the 20th of November, 1938. In an article published within the Zeitschrift für Osteuropäische Recht of February 1939, Dr. Globke wrote, When deciding the optional right for Czechoslovak citizenship, the previously applicable principle of international law was abandoned to grant all persons who automatically acquire a different citizenship upon territorial separation an optional right for their previous citizenship. 
to the extent that views of nationality are of greater importance than citizenship, it seemed impossible to give German citizens who have acquired German citizenship an option to change their nationality. All German citizens of Czechoslovak citizenship are entitled to the option of German citizenship. The only exceptions are those German citizens who only became Czechoslovak citizens after January 30th, 1933. This means that the emigrants who have acquired Czechoslovak citizenship are excluded from the optional right. It was also in February 1939 that Dr. Globke and the Reichsministry of the Interior implemented the Ordinance on German Citizenship in the Sudeten German Regions. In this ordinance, the previously passed Ordinance of German Citizenship from the 5th of February 1934, in which stated under Section 2, the state government makes every decision in the field of citizenship law in the name and on behalf of the Reich, and under Section 3 read, German citizenship can only be conferred after the Reich's Minister of the Interior has given his consent. Along with the law amending the Reich and citizenship law of the 15th of May 1935, under which Section 1 read, the naturalization authorities decide whether to grant citizenship at their discretion. There is no entitlement to naturalization. These ordinances were now implemented within the Sudetenland and backdated to the 10th of October. Of course, much of this did not matter for long, for on the 15th of March, all of the Czech part of the Czechoslovak lands were brought under the control of the German Reich. Dr. Globke set about creating the laws that would bring all those with German ethnicity within the former Czech lands as German citizens, unless they fell foul of the previous laws of November 1938 while those who existed outside of the perceived German ethnicity would be considered German nationals. He also was in attendance of the meetings that drafted the legal structure of the Sudetenland as a Reichsgau Sudetenland with a Reichsstadthalter as a leader in the town of Reichenberg. However, it had to be legally defined as to who was of German ethnicity and who was considered a German national. In the eyes of Dr. Globke, there was a difference. In a letter to Minister of the Interior Frick, dated the 27th of March 1939, Dr. Globke outlined a draft for an unpublished circular. Dr. Globke was presented with an issue that if the strictest ideas of what counted as German, to say those defined by descent, were applied, there would be too few persons for Germanization so the circular expanded to cultural determination, language, education, culture, self-identification, and behavioral identification with German culture would now be an attributing factor to who belonged to the Volksdeutsch community. These would become German citizens. In Czechoslovakia, this was to produce an extra 3.48 million German nationals. However, it was to leave over 7 million with no status and therefore no protection under the law. However, there was a change, of course. At a meeting on the 9th of December 1939, to which Dr. Globke was present, it was decided that all Czechs who resided within the country at the time of the German occupation, the 15th of March 1939, irrespective of if they had obtained a different nationality, would be registered as members of the Protectorate. Only those that gained a different nationality before the 15th of March would be exempt. 
which Dr. Globka ensured those gathered would be a negligible percentage. Why were they now wishing the Czechs to be protectorates of the Reich? The reason was simple. There was an increasing amount of Czechs escaping and joining the Allied Czech legions. With the growing Czech legions within the armies and air force of the Allies, the new rule would mean that any Czech captured fighting for the Allies that had resided in the lands now known as Bohemia and Moravia would not be treated as prisoners of war, but rather, now that they were considered to be protectorates of the Reich, therefore belonging to the Reich, they would be charged with treason, which usually meant the death sentence. With this, if a Czech tried to leave Bohemia and Moravia, they could be charged with trying to join the Czech Legion, irrespective if that was their intent or not, which to the Nazis was enough to warrant a death sentence. However, there was also a worry that, in the eyes of the Nazis and Dr. Globka, that the superior German blood could be diluted by that of those of the Protectorate. So Dr. Globka drafted an ordinance, which was printed on the 6th of June, 1941. The decree read, Ordinance regulating citizenship issue vis-a-vis the Bohemia and Moravia Protocol, the 6th of June, 1941. On the basis of the decree of the Führer and Chancellor of the Protectorate of Bohemia and Moravia on March 16, 1939, the following was ordered in agreement with the Reich Protector in Bohemia and Moravia. Section 1, Paragraph 1. German people cannot be protectorates. Paragraph 2, Section 3 of the Ordinance on the Acquisition of German Citizenship by Previous Czechoslovak Citizens of German Ethnicity of April 20, 1939, is unaffected. The referred to section here states, German citizens residing in the Protectorate of Bohemia and Moravia also have the rights of citizens of the Protectorate of Bohemia and Moravia. Section 2 of the June 6th Ordinance, Paragraph 1. A German citizen who is married to a member of the Protectorate or who was married on March 16, 1939, acquires German citizenship provided that the husband loses the Protectorate membership according to Section 1. Paragraph 2. A German national of German ethnicity which marries a Protectorate member does not lose German citizenship unless the higher administrative authority in the Bohemia and Moravia Protectorate of the Oberlandrat makes a contrary decision before the marriage. On the 17th of July 1941, a meeting took place within the offices of the Reichsprotector for Bohemia and Moravia with Dr. Globke. The discussion was to be over the implementing decrees for this ordinance. In relation to Section 2, Paragraph 2, the note states... To Section 2, Paragraph 2, it will have to be said that German citizenship will be lost if the wife is inferior. If needed, a secret decree will be required. The meeting's notes then turned to the next section of the ordinance of the 6th of June 1941 designed by Dr. Globke. Section 3, Paragraph 1. A child who comes from a marriage between a German national and a member of the Protectorate acquires German citizenship through birth. German citizenship is not acquired if the mother has lost German citizenship as a result of marriage to a member of the Protectorate in accordance with Section 2, Paragraph 2. Paragraph 2. 
a child from a marriage between a German national and a member of the Protectorate who was born between March 15, 1939, and the entry into force of this ordinance acquired German citizenship upon birth. An acquisition of German citizenship did not take place if the child was born in a marriage before March 16, 1939, and the children born before that date did not acquire German citizenship. The meeting notes of the 17th of July 1941 state, regarding section 3, paragraph 2, it will be noted that the automatic acquisition of German citizenship for children born after a mixed marriage, after March 16, 1939, occurs even if not all children born before March 16, 1939, have become German citizens. Shortly after the meeting with the Reich's protector, Dr. Globke drafted a circular in which he writes, Insofar as Germany was involved in regulating the citizenship of the former Czechoslovakian nationals, one of the objectives pursued was, in principle, not to allow any German people to become members of the Protectorate. Section 1, paragraph 1 of the Ordinance has now determined that no German citizen can be a Protectorate, which does not change the fact that, according to Section 3 of the Ordinance of April 20, 1939, German nationals residing in the Protectorate continue to have the rights of Protectorates. With this, a multiple-leveled system of ethnic hierarchy was created. German citizens at the top, ethnic Germans beneath, followed by Czechs as members of the Protectorate, and beneath them all, the Jews. Under the laws and advice of Dr. Globke, children and couples were threatened, knowing the difficulties they faced if they lost citizenship. German nationality could be lost if a wife was considered to be inferior meaning Czech. If a German national male did wish to marry a member of the Protectorate, a certificate would have to be supplied, which would prove the racial hereditary character, along with political and social papers. These collections of paper on the potential wife would have to be placed in a sealed envelope, along with one more piece of proof, a photograph showing the woman in an unclothed condition. The piece of paper that ordered for this inclusion of a nude photographs was the circular of the 3rd of April, 1941, and it was signed, Dr. Hans Globke. Potential marriages could be declined for a wealth of reasons, from speaking languages considered inferior, to the female of the protectorate having lived with an ethnic German for a year, and having failed to learn German, to the fact that the husband was a doctor and therefore a member of the protectorate was beneath him. In some cases, racial characteristics were written upon the applications, Note saying Asian-looking, Baltic in appearance, the applicant is of Czech descent, or foreign national has alien characteristics. But it wasn't just the protectorate of Bohemia and Moravia that Globke was operating within. In Slovakia, he toured with Minister Fricks and Stuttgart. He gave the Hitler salute in the middle of the street as crowds looked on in Bratislava. He stood outside the Carlton Hotel and watched Fricks receive welcome flowers from Volksdeutsche Kinder. Shortly after Minister Fricks and Dr. Globke's visit, the Slovak newspaper Gardista published a report that the Jews were leaving the country. He had taken part in a meeting that discussed the resettlement of the Slovak Jews. As a result, three concentration camps were constructed in Slovakia, which eventually were emptied 
their former occupants being evacuated to the east. How much Dr. Globka contributed to the meeting, it cannot be said. However, when asked later in life, he stubbornly refused to answer, concealing his role. In Lithuania, the Nazis once more broke the Munich Agreement when the armies rolled in just five days after they had in the Czech lands. They moved to take Memel, there had been German before 1924. Now to the Nazis, it was coming back. Lithuania was forced to see the territory under the threat that the tanks would not stop rolling. Memel was transferred by the Lithuanian government on the 22nd of March 1939. Here again, the ideas of Germanization, who belonged to the Reich and in what capacity needed to be settled. So once again, it was Dr. Globka who was sent to negotiate. Antonas Jakobas, lawyer for the Lithuanian Ministry of the Interior, who sat in the courtroom in 1963, was at the negotiation table. When they met at the negotiating table at the end of June 1939, the course of discussion was of depriving the Lithuanians, Jews and foreign citizens of political and civil rights. Those Germans who had opted for Lithuanian citizenship after 1964 were automatically reverted back to German citizenship, even if they no longer lived in Memel. However, those who left as the German armies moved into Memel would not be classified as German but Lithuanian, except Jews, Jews who fled. Jews who fled were to be denied of German citizenship, not allowed to return, but also under the conditions set forth by Dr. Globka, Lithuania was not allowed to recognize them as Lithuanian citizens. They were to be stateless. Once more, Dr. Globka would write in the Zeitschrift for Osteuropäisches Recht, the Journal of Eastern European Law, of September-October 1939, Dr. Globka would write in regards to the citizenship of the Memel area. Persons of alien blood, especially Jews, are not German nationals. The decision of who is a German national is exclusively for German authorities. If the horrors of what the Czechs, Slovaks and Lithuanians had to go through in Dr. Globka's Germanization are to be considered terrible, which they were. What the people of Poland had to suffer was worse. The ethnic cleansing of Poland resulted in 22% of the nation's population being exterminated, or roughly around 6 million people. Poland was to be the living space, or Lebensraum, for the German people that Hitler had always dreamed of. On the extension of the German Reich to Poland after the 1st of September 1939, and its conquering on the 6th of October 1939, Dr. Globker would write, On the extension of the German Reich to areas with strong non-German populations, new problems have been posed to the citizenship law. If non-Germans, like Germans, came into possession of German citizenship, an external assimilation of non-Germans could not be prevented in the long run. Such an assimilation would be undesirable because the German people would not be strengthened by the associated intrusion of foreign blood, but weakened in its character. It was decided in Poland that there was to be a list, a German people's list, where within the German people of Poland would be categorized. In Group A, people who have actively engaged in the struggle for nationality, meaning predominantly people who were members of the NSDAP. In Group B, 
people who have preserved their Germanness. Group C, German-born but of Polish behaviour, but have the prerequisites to become full members of the German national community. In Group D, Germans of German descent who have been raised in Poland but has not been active in Germanism. And in Group E, German nationals with Polish nationality and proven anti-German activity. Groups A, B and C were to receive the ID card of the German People's List. Those of D and E would not. From here, a People's List would be created. A 25-page typewritten document that Dr. Globke consulted on that was not intended for publication, only circulation amongst the relevant ministries stated that entry into the People's List was based on A. Commitment to German nationality B. Descent and C. Racial suitability For those who did not fall under these categories, Poles and Jews, Dr. Globke, as referent for the plenipotentiary for the Reich's government, drafted a regulation in March 1940 that provided for an extension of martial law. He writes, because of the attitude of Poles and Jews who have been recently more defiant and challenging, he introduced new criminal offences. They were acts of violence against Germans because of their ethnicity, arson, and weapons possession. The only sentence that could be attached to these crimes, death. In December 1941, these laws would be expanded by Globka in a decree. Poles and Jews would be punished with death if they were violent to a German because of his German nationality. They would be punished with death if they presented anti-German sentiment, punished with death if committing a violent act against someone of the German Wehrmacht, German police, Reich Labour Service, German authority, or of the NSDAP, punished with death for vandalism of German institutions or disobeying a decree. These laws would become known as the Polish Criminal Law Ordinance. For this ordinance, the judges of the Third Reich sentenced thousands to death. The country was split in two. For those not on the people's list, they were treated brutally. And for those on the list, they could do little for those who were not. They had no rights. They could be evicted from their property and receive meager rations. Dr. Globke also participated in the drafting of the second ordinance of the German people's list. The drafts that became laws that Dr. Globke worked on were pressed upon all the areas that the German armies marched. As the Wehrmacht advanced into the Soviet Union under Operation Barbarossa, the circulars that he drafted that defined who qualified as a German national were implemented in the Ukraine and the Baltic countries. His laws were present in Yugoslavia, Romania, and Slovenia. In Romania, Dr. Globke and Stuckart held meetings for a week with the Romanian government on how Romania could adopt the laws of Germany and implement its system within its borders. For this, the King of Romania rewarded Dr. Globke with the Commander's Cross of the Order of the Star of Romania. Hitler gave permission for Globke to receive this award. In Slovenia, the Germanization was committed with great violence. The people of Slovenia, who held a certain level of intellect, were feared by the Nazis and deported, and the rest were diminished economically before Germans from other areas were brought to resettle the now cleansed land. 
Wherever Dr. Globko went, he brought with him death. He may never have had to pull the trigger on a gun, not to stand by as soldiers shot Jews into ditches at Babiyar, Rumela, Ponary, or Poles in Blonye, Zlotchev, or Tozienyets, or witnessed the murder of tens of thousands that died as a result of ethnic cleansing in Operation Tannenberg in Poland, or in the ethnic cleansing of Slovenia. He may not have been present as people lost their homes or had their nationality stolen from them, but it was his drafts that became laws that facilitated much of the horrors that unfolded during the Third Reich and the Second World War. And he knew of the horrors, and moreover, Dr. Hans Globke was fully aware of the mechanized extermination of the Jews. Achtung Histories, He Who Holds the Devil, is a weekly podcast production by The Berlin Tour Guide and hosted by Simon J. James. To find out more, follow Achtung History on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Achtung History, or visit the website at theberlintourguide.com forward slash Achtung History. If you wish to support Achtung History, you can do so through patreon.com forward slash Achtung History. Achtung, Achtung.